Welcome to Smart Healthcare Safety from ECRI, the most trusted voice in healthcare, committed to advancing effective, evidence-based care. I'm your host, Paul Anderson. Tens of thousands of healthcare leaders rely on us as an independent, trusted authority to improve the safety, quality, and cost-effectiveness of care across all healthcare settings worldwide. You can learn more about our unique capabilities to improve outcomes at www.ecri.org. As we get started with today's episode, let's first reiterate that we hope you and your loved ones are safe amid the COVID-19 pandemic. At ECRI, we salute the healthcare workers worldwide showing extraordinary bravery responding to the pandemic. Look for the hashtag healthcareheroes on social media. Like many of you, ECRI staff are social distancing, and that means we're recording from our homes instead of our usual studio. So like many podcasts and broadcasts you might be listening to right now, if you hear some extra background noise, that's what's going on, and we hope it won't be too distracting. Today, we present the first of two discussions about strategies for preventing maternal death and injury, in which the United States ranks worst among developed nations. It's a great conversation with lots of good information, so much so that we couldn't get it all into one episode. In particular, we'll look at ways providers should support mothers after they leave the hospital, a time that hasn't received as much attention as the time in the hospital right after delivery. Maternal health across the continuum of care ranked number two on ECRI's 2020 list of the top 10 patient safety concerns, right after missed and delayed diagnoses. To get us started, I'll ask our guest to introduce herself. Hi, uh, my name is Carly Hendershot. I have a clinical background in nursing and as a family nurse practitioner. Um, I have a particular focus on ambulatory care and community health center, risk management and patient safety. And I'm really delighted to be here. Thank you for asking me. So, you know, Carly, we're going to talk a lot about maternal health specifically as it relates to the ambulatory setting. But, you know, maybe before we get into that, can you tell us a little bit about why this is such an important topic generally? Why did it make ECRI's top 10 list this year? Yeah, that's a great question. And it's a great starting point. Um, a couple of years ago, Maternal health started to come into the spotlight more, um, largely due to some investigative journalism pieces um, that were looking more in depth at uh, what was happening to mothers um, in terms of childbirth related concerns and complications. Um, at that time, some statistics started to really come in, into light uh, for the public. Um, there have been healthcare providers focused on this issue and concerned about it for quite some time, of course. Um, however, it, like I said, it really transitioned into the public eye um, fairly recently. Um, so what has come to light, and I think what has really caught people's attention, is that the maternal mortality rate in the United States um, is actually, according to many different sources of data, ranked the, the worst among all developed countries in the world for our maternal mortality rate. I think that for all of us who are familiar with healthcare delivery in the United States, this was something pretty shocking to find out. Um, and, and beyond that, um, not only does the U.S. have the, the worst rates of maternal mortality among developed countries, um, 
but globally, maternal mortality rates have been decreasing. Um, the figure is around 40% over the last uh, 20 years or so. Whereas in the United States, not only do we have a, a poor rate, but we our rate has been increasing. So for the US in the last 20 or so years, um, the rate has it increased from, in the mid 1980s, from just over seven um, deaths per 100,000 live births to we're at about 16.4% latest figures from the CDC, 17.4 um, deaths per 100,000 live births as of 2018. That's more and than doubled. It has more than doubled, yes. Wow. And so these things put together have, you know, really created some, some great concerns and focus on trying to do something about it. So, um, gosh, I mean, more than doubled in just a couple decades is kind of shocking. And, you know, I, some of the numbers I've, I've seen thrown around, um, you know, that maybe in the United States, there are something like 700 deaths and maybe 50,000, uh, you know, very severe complications every year um, uh, around maternal health. And again, I think we want to emphasize, we're just talking about the mothers in this scenario. We're not even talking about the, the newborns. Um, you know, so, but, but taking a step back, uh, obviously, every one of those deaths, every one of those severe complications is a tragedy, but 700 deaths in a year, it doesn't sound like a, a big number, just a raw number compared to other causes of death? Am I, am I missing something? No, that, that's a good point too. And when you look at it that way, um, as an overall cause of death, 700 deaths a year in, you know, among causes of death in the United States is really quite small compared to our other um, conditions that are the leading causes of death, such as heart disease and cancer and the like. Um, However, one of the things that's important to keep in mind um, is that the deaths, the maternal deaths that occur are just the tip of the iceberg. Um, we think that there are at least, and, and this is probably an underestimation, um, about 50,000 incidents of severe complications related to childbirth um, and, and maternal health annually. Um, and that just captures severe complications, which have very specific definitions, these are complications that occur in the hospital setting only. We know that there are a lot more complications that happen that would not necessarily be classified as severe or they didn't occur in a hospital setting. So not all of this is being captured. And a lot of the complications that occur um, in the postpartum period, the, the majority of them occur after these new moms are discharged from the hospital. So there is not data capturing all of this. There's also reason to think that even the data capturing the number of deaths may be an underestimation. Um, there are committees in different states that are working on looking at the causes of death um, in maternal health. However, there's been a lot of barriers to that data collection as well. It's imperfect. It's improving, but it's imperfect. So I think for all those reasons, um, the, a, lot of, a lot of experts would say that those numbers may not even be capturing the total picture. Hmm. And, and you know, I mean, you, you touched on this a moment ago, Carly, but I think a lot of people, when they hear this idea of maternal health slash maternal mortality, I think a lot of their first thought is to 
just that immediate period of labor and delivery. But it sounds like you're saying that might not even be where we see the bulk of the harm that, that that's happening. Um, yeah, it's that's actually um, a really good point as well. Um, as it turns out, when this has been in, looked into more in depth, um, and I think what a lot of people are surprised to find out, um, is, this is under-recognized by the public and by many healthcare providers, the majority of pregnancy-related deaths do occur postpartum. And um, for our purposes today, I'd like to call put the postpartum period the fourth trimester. I think that's a really, that's a term that is gaining popularity. And I think mm -hmm. that captures the importance of this phase in, um, in, in terms of the health of the mother. So during that fourth trimester or the postpartum period, um, about a third of the deaths happened either at delivery or in the week following delivery. And then another third happened one week to one year postpartum. And, and the postpartum period is considered by most experts to extend up through one year after childbirth. So when you break that down, we have about a third of the deaths um, related to pregnancy that happened during the pregnancy and two thirds of the, of the deaths, which is certainly the majority happened at or after delivery. And of those, a third of them happened a week or more out. And so certainly there's a large number, a large percentage of this that is happening after discharge from the hospital. Um, and, and, and that affects, you know, everyone who's, that is important for all the caregivers who uh, work with moms after they leave the hospital and after they deliver. Well, you know, and I like this this phrasing of the fourth trimester because I think it's easy in sort of the common perception to think that, well, we've gotten to hospital discharge, so we're all good now. You know, of course, you'll be exhausted. You'll be tired because that's what it is to deal with a new baby. But all the focus shifts to the baby, you know, at that time. And so I like this idea of of this phrasing of a fourth trimester because I think it gives it helps to give some importance to, and some emphasis on the idea that this is not ending at the moment of discharge from hospital. Yeah, exactly. I mean, and in some ways it's, it's just kind of starting. Um, and, and for the reason that you mentioned, um, that's certainly one of the, one of the factors that comes into play. Um, the whole time that a woman is pregnant, um, there's, you know, a lot of intervention, um, up until the current situation that we're in now, which we can we can talk about a little later, um, women would typically have pretty frequent and regular prenatal visits. So you're having a lot of interaction with um, healthcare providers in in obstetric practices, family practices, um, and there's a lot of planning that's going on in the prenatal period. There's a lot of testing and screening, referrals to specialists, um, and it's not all focused on the medical aspects. It's also focused on uh, social support and connecting with um, it, those organizations that might, might provide additional help. Um, so, there's just, there's a lot of energy on the mom and the developing baby during that time. But unfortunately, yes, once the baby is delivered, um, the attention tends to really focus very strongly to the baby, as it should. Sure. However, there is a mom here too, and, right. and, and that focus um, can take away from the mother's needs. And 
I've also found that a lot of the postpartum support that is just kind of generally out there for, for new moms, or even when I say new mom, I don't mean a mom who hasn't had a baby before. I just mean someone who newly, you know, has a new baby, no matter how many they've had, there's, (laughs) there's still the chance of complications. In fact, that can go up over time in some cases. Um, But I guess the, the point being a lot of the support that is out there is more focused on things like um, breastfeeding and Mm -hmm. what, the normal changes to expect your body is going to go through and those kinds of things. So there isn't as much education as I believe is needed. And a lot of other experts believe is needed about more serious or dangerous complications that can occur during that period um, for the mom and how to recognize early warning signs of those complications and what to do. So I think that's where some of the lack is, um, and let me, if I could just give you an example. Um, yeah. when, when a mother has given birth in a hospital or a birthing facility, and they usually are in a sort of labor and delivery unit, and then they might get transferred to what is often called a mother-baby unit, and they're being cared for. The mother and the baby are both receiving, you know, pretty intensive nursing support, and, um, you know, there's a lot going on during that time. Um, but again, a lot of the focus in the education is about caring for the baby. Um, there has been at least one study showing that in terms of um, patients being provided discharge information before they leave the hospital after giving birth, that there was a lack of awareness, a pretty significant lack of awareness on behalf of um, the nurses who were providing discharge information in this particular study about postpartum complications. So not only were the patients not getting that information, but the nurses themselves who were providing the discharge information didn't realize that, for example, preeclampsia can be a serious complication well into the postpartum period. So the bottom line was these moms and their family members are not getting this information as they leave the hospital. And even if they were, it may have not been complete Um, There may have been more focus on talking to them about one particular complication or another as opposed to the whole range. Um, And so there is, and because of the energy right then is often focused more on, as I had mentioned, the baby. Um, That part is getting a little bit of short shrift, I think. So you you mentioned, Carly, preeclampsia or high blood pressure. What are some other examples of some of the more common uh, or maybe maybe less common, but particularly severe uh, complications that a mom might experience during that fourth trimester. Yeah, that has been pretty well delineated in in the research and in the statistics available from CDC and and other sources of information. And we have it has been determined um, the top causes of pregnancy related death include cardiovascular conditions. Um, and one biggie there is that's a, that's an umbrella term for anything kind of related to the heart, but, um, cardiomyopathy is one of those conditions. And another term for that is basically, um, the heart muscle becomes enlarged and weakened, um, sometimes related to the process of having gone through pregnancy and childbirth. Um, that is a complication that can occur quite some time later, um, one of the symptoms of that can be shortness of breath. And there have definitely been um, 
cases and malpractice lawsuits um, more than once of uh, women who had developed this cardiomyopathy or enlarging um, and weakening of the heart muscle um, had sought care for feeling short of breath, but the condition wasn't diagnosed and they were instead treated for asthma or a respiratory infection and those kinds of things. Mm. When what they really needed was, you know, the intensive care of a cardiologist. Um, and so in some cases, unfortunately, that has left to severe disability or even death. Um, so that was a misdiagnosis. And then some, some, the other main causes of death um, in the, in the related to pregnancy include hemorrhage. And that's pretty well known, I think, at this point. Um, but hemorrhage, what isn't so well known is that hemorrhage not only can occur while the mom is in the hospital right after giving birth or, you know, during that time, but it can actually occur days or even weeks after discharge from the hospital. Something that might cause that is if uh, part of the placenta um, stayed inside and, and didn't wasn't delivered after the birth, um, that could eventually lead to a, a pretty sudden and severe hemorrhage even long after leaving the hospital. Another cause is infection. Um, and again, that can be from various sources, even something like the urinary tract infection um, or a infection in the uterus. Um, those types of things, and they can lead to um, sepsis and death. Hmm. An embolism or a blood clot is another cause because those can go to the lung. Um, Preeclampsia and eclampsia, which are having to do with high blood pressure, most people are familiar that that can happen during pregnancy, um, and, but also there's a misperception that delivering the baby is going to take care of that problem. Um, it can happen after delivery, even in moms who didn't have high blood pressure or hypertension during the pregnancy. So it can be a new emergence of preeclampsia or eclampsia. And then here's one that I think people are probably the least aware of, mental health conditions. Um, mm -hmm. And they, can, they account for a, a pretty large percentage, actually, of, um, as a cause of death. And that would relate to potentially postpartum depression or someone who had a history of mental illness prior or to the pregnancy, but also relates to um, potentially substance use disorder, um, overdose, and even leading to um, self-harm and suicide, all of those things. So, hmm. yeah, so those are the top, um, those are known to be the top causes of pregnancy-related death. And I will just reiterate one other thing, though. For every time we say it's a cause of death, those things are also cause of complications that don't lead to death, as I mentioned earlier. So, so those 50,000 severe complications, but also the probably tens of thousands of more less severe complications that can still impact that woman and her family and society forever, really. Sure. So, you know, can you give us, let's say, a common scenario of how we might get from, you know, what, what appears to be a healthy birth and, and even a healthy discharge from the hospital to the point where we have a patient, let's say, in the emergency department with, I, I don't know, an infection or severe bleeding or, or you know, a, a cardiac condition, any of the things that you described. How do we get from, it looks okay, everybody go home, to the emergency department? 
Well, one of the examples I gave you with the um, cardiomyopathy or enlarged heart is one of those things that we have seen. Uh, we are starting to take a look at um, what is going on in the emergency department uh, with postpartum patients. I, and that is probably an area that is understudied at this point. Um, but certainly that is something that has happened. There are case studies of that and there have been malpractice lawsuits related to a mother who um, developed shortness of breath, who had given birth, was doing fine when she left the hospital, didn't have particular medical history that you know was anything serious. Um, she called her um, family practice office who was going to see her postpartum, um, complaining of a bit of a cough and some um, congestion and a little bit of shortness of breath. Um, she spoke to the nurse on the phone. The nurse counseled her to um, use over-the-counter medications for a viral upper respiratory infection. And um, the mother said, okay, and she apparently did that, but then called back to the office a few days later saying, now I'm feeling worse. Um, I'm just, I, I'm coughing a lot and I feel short of breath. And uh, an appointment was scheduled. So the patient came in, uh, was seen by a um, physician and was diagnosed with a um, new case of asthma, which the mother had no history of and was prescribed inhalers. Um, she went home and was trying to use those continued to deteriorate and actually a few days later got very weak and collapsed at home and she was brought to the emergency department and she they didn't um, eventually did an ultrasound of her heart and determined that she did have cardiomyopathy or the enlarged heart that I had been mentioning um, she was very ill she ended up uh, surviving but that is an example of a scenario that could happen um, and, and that's a diagnosis that can get missed. And you can see there are a series of sort of mistakes that may have happened along that pathway. That's where we'll wrap up part one of our conversation with Carly Hendershot. Be sure to subscribe to Smart Healthcare Safety on Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts to hear the second part when it's released. Learn more about how ECRI can help from our website at www.ecri.org. You'll find a link to download the executive brief of our 2020 list of top 10 patient safety concerns, and ECRI members can log in to read the full report. You'll also find our COVID-19 Resource Center with publicly available resources to help providers across the continuum of care.